Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. You're listening to the LA Football Podcast. What's going on, Los Angeles? Welcome back to the LA Football Show here on the LA Football Network, lafbnetwork.com, your destination for Los Angeles football. It is a Monday. We got to talk about the weekend. Our UCLA Bruins, unfortunately, falter and are undefeated no more. We're going to get all into it, Bruins fans. Joining me as always, the madman, Jamal Madney. What's up, my brother? How we doing? Happy Monday. Happy Monday, Ryan. Excited to uh, talk some shop here as we uh, it seemingly we've sort of crossed over from the midway point of the college season. So now it feels like we're getting a little bit more into the stretch run. So excited to talk about it with you on this happy Monday. Yes, sir. So show as always brought to you by our friends at bet online, head to bet online.ag today. Use our promo code believe that's going to get you a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. You can bet on the Rams are back from there by the Bruins play again on Saturday against Stanford. You got USC back from there by chargers are on a buy. So you don't want to bet on them this weekend. Um, but if you want to win some money back or win money for the first time, once again, that's betonline.ag promo code believe B L E A V telling the guys at the LA football network sent you. So Bruins, Tough loss, 45-30. Defense didn't really show up. We're obviously going to get into all of it. Tough environment out at Odson. You got to give credit where credit is due. Oregon looked like a great football team, well-coached. Bo Nix looked fantastic. I don't know if that is actually how good Bo Nix is or if that's the defense making Bo Nix look a lot better than he is. But overall, I thought Oregon played very, very good. And, you know, got to give them credit right off the top. Obviously, some things we're going to get into about that actually happened. But Jamal, initial thoughts of this game, obviously disappointed. But uh, anything you were happy about or overall just a pretty disappointing loss out in Oregon? Yeah, Ryan. I mean, obviously, it, it the, the, the wind was taken out of the sails of the Bruin faithful a little bit. But I think a couple things to really focus on. A... Midway through the fourth quarter, there were zero stops in this game on both sides, and UCLA was <laughs> down by 22. I've never seen a game where that has happened. UCLA scored on every possession they had up until the midway point of the fourth quarter, and they were down 22 points. So that tells you the importance of converting field goals into touchdowns. And also just how significant that onside kick was in terms of getting Oregon an extra possession and kudos to Dan Lanning there. And so I'm excited to get more into it, Ryan, as we talked about. But then B, before we even dive into this, I think bigger picture zooming out, it's important to have some perspective. Most Bruin fans were expecting a one and two stretch over this gauntlet of three straight top 15 teams. The vast majority of us would have been thrilled with two and one. We got two and one and everything is still on the table moving forward in terms of Pac-12 title, a Rose Bowl title, school record for single season wins in a season. It's all there. Charbonnet's quest for a dope walker, 
DTR is still a dark horse Heisman. So if the Bruins can just dust this off and take care of their business moving forward, they're going to see this team again December 2nd in Las Vegas for the Pac-12 championship game with everything to play for. So as as crushing as this loss was and deflating as it was, really in the in the grand scheme of things, nothing has been lost for UCLA and everything is there to play for. I don't think any of us thought this team was going to go undefeated, thought this was going to be a team that was going to win the national championship. I think the focus was, is this the year they can break that 24-year drought and win, go to the Rose Bowl and then win the Rose Bowl for the first time in 37 years? And all of that is still very much in the taking. So I think it's important for us to wallow in our self-pity maybe one more day and then shake it off and be optimistic about the fact this is a six and one team with a very favorable schedule and that big one against SC is going to decide a lot of things moving forward for both teams yeah it's a great great point insight and we want to ask you guys are the Bruins still on pace to play in the Pac-12 title game text UCLA to 31032 let us know uh the math tells us they absolutely are still on pace but let us know just your thoughts and what's your outlook on the rest of the season that's UCLA to the number 31032 but it's such a good point Jamal because you know going into the season everyone including us thought for sure this was a one or two loss team I mean we thought this was a definitely a good team that had an absolute chance to do some special things this season but no one in their right mind was said this team was going 13 and0 or 12 and0 whatever the the final number would have been and and so they're still on that pace that we were kind of hoping and like you mentioned that stretch of Washington Utah and Oregon in three straight weeks was a brutal gauntlet of a stretch when you look at those are, the three, not including USC, three of the four best teams in the conference. And to go two and one in that stretch, I think is certainly um, not just okay. That's actually excellent. I mean, that's fantastic. And if anyone would have told you that before, and would have taken it and said, yeah, we'll go two and one absolutely in that stretch. And if their one loss was to a really hot firing Oregon, Oregon team in Eugene, then you would be even, I think, happier. So Overall, uh, outlook, absolutely still. Everything is in front of them. That game out November 19th at the Rose Bowl against USC now is, you know, obviously was going to be the game of the season anyway, but now it is really going to come down to that game on who probably plays in the Pac-12 title. Um, But first thing about this game, Jamal, and I know we spent a lot of time last week for the USC game talking about the refs and whatnot, so I hate – starting with that, but I'm just curious your thoughts. And I don't even know, I'm, I, I'm assuming you saw this, but there's stuff circling around after the game. And I didn't see it during because uh, of just where I watched it. I wasn't really on Twitter or whatnot, but the onside kick, which was a fantastic call by Dan Lanning hats off to him to seize a possession. As, as you said, through the fourth quarter, each team had scored in every possession. And yet Oregon was up by 22 points. That just shows how an offensive game this was, but the onside kick, it came out after that. It should have never been allowed. It was essentially Oregon blocked players before the 10 yards, which you are not allowed as a flag, meaning it would have just been UCLA's ball right there. They could have gone down, tied the game, or taken the lead based on if they got a touchdown or a field goal. So UCLA had so many opportunities through the rest of the three quarters to take the game, but that definitely changed the momentum swing, and then just the fact that the offense was doing their will on both sides on either team. So your thoughts on that and how Pac-12 refs yet again missed another big one. 
Yeah, Ryan, it was really interesting. And it was actually a call that's been made over the course of the season here a few times. I recall the Alabama-Arkansas game a couple of weeks ago where they made that call about the blocking and, and folks have been pretty strict uh, across the country on that call. I think it probably was a missed call. I definitely saw some blocking there with Oregon. But, you know, give credit to Chip Kelly coming out and saying, look, I didn't really see it. So Chip actually came out and said, hey, it looked like a clean play to me. And, you know, we had all these other opportunities moving forward. I I don't want to turn this into an officiating scenario Mm -hmm. as to why this team lost. Obviously, that was a huge call. And you got to give Dan Lanning a lot of credit there because it actually was a no-risk play. And I think a lot of people are saying, oh, my God, look at the onions on Dan Lanning to go for it in that way. I'm actually surprised more coaches don't take that into consideration when you're in a shootout because they were up 17-10. UCLA was moving the ball at will at that point, just as Oregon was. And I think Dan Lanning looked at the risk-reward and said, look, we're probably not going to stop them anyway. They're probably going to score a touchdown anyway. Why don't we try and see if we can steal that possession right then and there, right after you know we hit them deep? on that beautiful 50-yard ball from Bo Nix to Franklin, they look a little stunned and shell-shocked. They're probably, their mindset is, hey, let's get this ball back and even it up. And he just found the perfect opportunity. UCLA was sagging a little bit more than they should have. And, you know, the, the kicker himself was able to recover that right after 10 yards. So was there possibly some blocking going on? I definitely saw a little bit. But I could see the argument both ways where you throw the flag, you don't throw the flag. I'm okay with it actually either way. And I think more credit needs to go to Oregon than anything that the officiating did or anything that prevented UCLA from being victorious. Yeah, exactly. And at that point in the game, there was so much game left that um, like I would even argue that two rough in the passer calls in the Utah USC game had a bigger impact than this one for for the length of the game because there was so much time left. And, and still they had to, you know, they get the ball back, but UCLA proved that they couldn't stop anyone on Saturday. And uh, it was unfortunate that their one stop of the game came after a turnover on downs by their offense. And then they get a stop right away. And it's like, oh, where was this earlier for us to play catch up? So, uh, I mean, let me ask you this and then you ask me and you can ask me a question. I feel like we're co-hosts and I'm always the one asking you the questions. <laughs> so I'll turn it over to you, but I'll start with this. Are you, and it's hard not to be concerned, right? Like it's, I don't think we can say and say there's no concern at all, but how, I guess, how, how concerned are you about the defense moving forward? Because I think we knew all along, this wasn't necessarily a juggernaut defense. They were very opportunistic. They did some fun things with this Tampa two style that McGovern kind of brought in. They, uh, but against Utah outside of those pick and that fumble recovery for a touchdown, they were kind of letting Utah move the ball at will as well. So it wasn't like this was anything necessarily new. They just weren't able to turn the ball over and get opportunistic turnover on downs when necessary. So was this one of those scenarios in your opinion where they were absolutely exposed or was like, you know what? We kind of knew this just unfortunately they didn't get the luck their way or they didn't have those different things. And then on top of that, looking at the schedule moving forward outside of USC, does it even concern you at all? Are you saying, you know what? This defense is fine for what they are in this conference at this junction And, you know, I think we'll be okay because outside of USC, we don't play another juggernaut offense. Yeah, Ryan, it's it's a really good question. I think that we knew this defense was not good. And this is where the statistics lie. Because statistically, 
UCLA was the number one ranked defense in the Pac-12 in terms of yards allowed. And that that was sort of a joke because wow. when you watch how they played against South Alabama and really got moved in the line of scrimmage, it was really concerning. When you saw them early in the game against Bowling Green, really Bowling Green was able to move the ball pretty easily. That was concerning. You and I were there for the Boulder game, and Colorado had that touchdown on them right at the end of the first half. And you and I both talked about that right when that happened and said, that's not, that's not good uh, against uh, a Colorado team that's struggling at, to the rate that they are. And then I think we just got a little bit camouflaged with the Washington and Utah games. Washington moved the ball up and down the field, but the difference there was the two interceptions on Phoenix Jr., that really sort of swung that game and allowed UCLA in much the way Oregon did to UCLA, UCLA did to Washington jump out so far. And everyone kind of forgets Washington got back into that game, scored 16 straight. And it took a really great completion from DTR to Habermel on third and six. Otherwise Washington would have gotten that ball back with an opportunity to potentially tie the game. And then of course with Utah, UCLA sort of helping with some pass interference calls, some offsides. But Utah, again, was able to move the ball up and down the field. They are not as explosive as an Oregon or a Washington or USC, but were able to do that. So the combination of UCLA being opportunistic at the right times and then allowing their offense to capitalize when their defense was opportunistic made us almost forget a little bit about the inherent deficiencies. So I wasn't surprised that Oregon was scoring. I knew this was going to be a track meet. We were we were headed towards a low 40s game, much in the way the USC-Utah game played out. I think for me, the disappointment was just the sheer ineptitude on defense. Mm-hmm. It just didn't seem like UCLA could do anything on defense and had any sort of A, a game plan, or anything that they could hang their hat on where we could stop Oregon in any facet of the game. It was... That last drive, Ryan, was very symbolic to me of the whole game where Oregon was third and two on that last drive where they were assaulting the game away. They got a first down, but there was a false start penalty. So then it became third and seven. They got the first down anyway. Then there was a holding. Then it became third and 14, and they got the first down anyway. I mean, it just didn't matter Mm -hmm. what down it was, what distance it was. They couldn't stop the run. They couldn't stop the throw. Bo Nix went 22 for 28 for 283 yards and five touchdowns. And Oregon ran 46 times for over 260 at over six yards a carry. They just, they couldn't do anything. And for me, the biggest disappointment was the defensive line really got owned by that Oregon experienced offensive line. But where this game was lost for me was what Bill McGovern did with his three linebackers. With Latu, with John John Vons, and with Carl Jones Jr., those three, to me, had collectively their worst three games of the season. And those three individuals and that linebacking core was lost in no man's land. Mm -hmm. You cannot give up 260-plus yards rushing and have a quarterback complete over 75% of his passes for nearly 300 yards. You have to either commit to stopping the run with those linebackers and bring seven in the box and say, hey, we're playing Russian roulette back there, but we'll live with it, but we're going to take away the run game. Or Mm -hmm. you sag back 
in zone, drop seven back and say, we're not going to give up anything deep. Everything is going to be underneath. You know, it's going to be six, seven yards. And we're going to play that game where ultimately we're either going to find a turnover or you're going to run enough plays where you get a penalty and we tighten up in the red zone and we're going to play that game. The reality was UCLA did neither. And that's to me what was so disappointing. Commit your linebacking crew to do something. Either commit them to seven in the box and stopping the run or commit them into pass coverage and give up all the underneath stuff. And UCLA did neither. And structurally, it was just so inept. And they got shredded to such an extent where Oregon just did whatever they wanted and nothing was taken away. That, to me, is the disappointing part moving forward. And that, to me, is the thing that needs to be corrected. When you talk about the remaining schedule, you've got Stanford, you've got Cal, you've got Arizona State, three teams that aren't really going to test you very much from an explosive verticality standpoint. But outside of USC, the one team that can test you is Arizona. They've got an exceptional wide receiving room, and they've got a dynamic and explosive quarterback. So they need to tighten some things up, not just for that SC game, but for that one Arizona game moving forward. I think they will, but things there needs to be an identity defensively. That's what I'm looking for for Bill McGovern moving forward. You either need to be a run-stopping defense or an explosive play pass-stopping defense, but you got to be something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just to piggyback on that, the play that the play that did it for me was I, I think it was Oregon's. There were so many of them, but I think it was their last scoring possession yep. uh, after UCLA went and scored, and it was like, okay, there's there's a little bit of life here. The defense actually holds them to fourth down. You know, I think yep. they got one, maybe one or two first downs, but then they force a fourth down. It was a fourth and four, I believe. Um, and Oregon decides to throw the football. So you're like, okay, maybe we'll get some pressure here or something. And it's a, a leaking running back out of the backfield on a small swing route that no one's within 20 yards. And that one play fourth and four turns into a touchdown. That was the one for me that I was like, you're at fourth and four, a chance to really get back in this game. And you allow the running back to stand 20 yards alone on a swing route. And then basically walk into the end zone from there. So that was the one where I was like, yep, yeah, that's that's the Ryan, that one was was brutal. That fourth and six to Bucky Irving was brutal. Then there was another one I remember in the second quarter. It was or third quarter it was third and eight that Oregon had at the UCLA 46. And Oregon just saw UCLA go go three at the line and drop back eight, and they just ran the ball for 10. And it was like, oh my God, you know, we can't even we're we're so predictable here. And then the others were in the first quarter, Latu losing contain, going inside rush on third and 12. And Knicks could just roll out, find his outlet for 17, 18 yards in a first down. And then John John Vaughn's missing a tackle again on third and long um, and allowing Knicks to scramble and get a first down. The frustrating thing here, Ryan, was UCLA got Oregon in about a half a dozen third and long situations. They got Oregon into about four or five fourth down situations, and they just couldn't finish the deal um, in those situations where they got there. And, and the rest of the time, they were just getting owned on first down, and Oregon was just sort of living in second and four, third and two all the way through. But they were able to get a few opportunities there where the game was still in the balance, and they just looked so confused. 
They looked like a team that was not confident defensively as that game went on, and how could they? And they looked tentative. You know, they because they were getting beat so much in such a variety of ways, they weren't even sort of aggressively getting beat with tackles. And they were just sort of hesitating to not mm-hmm. give up the big play and just, you know, it allowed Knicks and it allowed those runners to just get 8, 10 yards at will. And I think the biggest thing here, Ryan, was Mo Osling third led the team in tackles as a, as a member of the secondary. 17 tackles Mo yeah. Osling third had. I mean, not good. just absolutely incredible. Great game from him, but that's not good because that means they're no. getting to that third level on every play. <laughs> if you're if your uh, corner or safety is leading in tackles, so um, we will obviously talk a lot more about this Stanford game later in the week. But I'm really excited to see how this defense responds because Stanford, as bad as their record is, has shown some good things on offense. We saw in that USC game in week two a long time ago, they got a really fun kind of RPO style offense that I, I haven't watched a lot of Stanford since then. So I don't know if they've gone away from that or they did it specifically for that. But this UCLA defense is very similar to that USC defense in terms of how they've played in games and the opportunism. So I wouldn't be shocked if Stanford has a very similar game plan against UCLA. So it'll be fun to see how they respond. But Jamal, before we end this, I want to got to talk some positives here, yeah. and it, it's hard never, it's hard not to ever be positive about these two guys. But Zach Charbonnet, yet another amazing game: twenty carries, one hundred fifty-one yards, and a touchdown. And Jake Bobo, which I'll ask you a question after, but eight receptions, one hundred one yards, and a touchdown. Just your thoughts on those two guys as they continue to not only build their resume within the Pac-12, but I think their draft stock is just continuing to go up, up, up. Ryan uh, Charbonnet is an absolute stud, and uh, how does how does anyone not think he's not only the best in the Pac-12, but I mean, at worst, top three in the country. Yeah. At oh, yeah. worst, I, mean, I think it's I think Charbonnet, Bijan Robinson, Jameer Gibbs are battling for who's the best running back in the country, and I don't even think there's a conversation after that. Uh, Charbonnet was so spectacular. Oregon had no answer for him. He's an NFL back. He was the bright spot offensively that allowed UCLA to do some things off of that and and was able to sort of set up that beautiful swing pass to Keegan Jones where he showed off his 200-meter track star speed down the right sideline for that first touchdown. Charbonnet, his combination of power and feet and his ability to not just take contact and just bounce off of people on the inside – but the relative ease that he can get to the sideline and bust sort of runs to the outside for a man his size is absolutely remarkable. He is so special. Probably the most gifted NFL-ready running back UCLA has had since Gaston Green. And that's, that's spanning now nearly 35 years. And so Charbonnet was absolutely spectacular. I would say the lone bright spot, the lone individual that got an A game uh, for UCLA on the offensive side. Because I thought DTR, I'll be honest with you, Ryan, the other element that I'm excited to see in this bounce back is DTR started to revert to a little bit of his mm-hmm. previous behaviors pre-Utah, pre-Washington, and last year. And you saw a little bit of that on that very first offensive series where he, yep. he tried to force the ball in the end zone a couple of times. So I'm waiting for DTR and I'm anxious to see him against Stanford sort of go back to the DTR against Utah and Washington, not the DTR of 2021 and previous. So 
seeing how he sort of resets his behaviors to get back to a baseline 2022 is going to be really exciting. Bobo's very special, Ryan. But again, I think this is where the, the numbers lie a little bit. He had, he had eight catches, 101 for a touchdown. Five or six of those catches were in the fourth quarter in garbage time. And mm-hmm. he had a phenomenal one-handed grab. But I think Christian Gonzalez of Oregon actually did a really good job on him most of that game. And he's special in terms of hands, in terms of size. But Bobo is going to have to be better uh, than he was against Oregon against USC. He's going to need to make a bigger impact earlier in the game where the game, the material outcome of the game is still very much in the air. He was able to sort of pick on uh, some of the prevent concepts that Oregon was doing in the fourth quarter when the game felt out of hand already and five or six of his balls were there. So all the tools are there. The Fox guys were salivating over Jake Bobo where they were saying, you know, he looks like a guy who shouldn't be doing the things that he can do. But that combination, Ryan, that he has of size and of hands and catch radius, it's just, it's all there. We fell in love with Kyle Phillips. We said Kyle Phillips was going to be a great NFL player before anyone else thought it last year. I think Jake Bobo has taken that mantle and is going to make a team very happy in the 2023 NFL draft come April. Yeah, I have uh, thoughts on that. But first, real quick, shout out to our friends at Liquid Death. All you out there, water drinkers out there, you got to make sure to give our guys a look. If you see tall cans of what looks like beer in the water section, guess what? It's not beer. It's actually water, mountain spring water from the Alps, that is. And it's called Liquid Death because it'll murder your thirst, but they're also doing all they can to kill off plastic bottle pollution. They're doing that by donating a percentage of every can sold. So you can head to anywhere you get your groceries, Ralph's, Vaughn's, Albertson's, um, Total Wine. If you get your groceries there, maybe you're just on a full liquid diet, liquid death diet, uh, 7-Eleven. But yeah, or you can go to liquiddeath.com slash L-A-F-B, and it will show you the nearest location where you can get that. I was actually in Ralph's just the other day picking up wine for the wife, and right there was a huge stack of liquid death boxes. So they're everywhere. It's delicious. It's great. Something about drinking out of a can. Uh, just feels better than the bottle. What do you call it, Jamal? You, you have a hydration for- event, Ryan, a hydration event. And it's all at, with liquid death. Tell them the guys at the LA football network sent you. So, uh, yeah, a couple last thoughts, Jamal. And then if you have anything else you want to touch on, we can, but I think that that'll kind of do it. But, um, yeah, Zach Charbonnet is just so special, man. It was cool seeing our, our buddy Brentley Weissman, who is a, a draft expert for the draft network. He tweeted out during the game, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially, all right, I'm finally on board, and I believe there's no way Charbonnet makes it out of the second round. Um, you know, I had tweeted three weeks ago that he was probably a first round back and got laughed at. And now I think people are realizing, like, yeah, no, he's actually pretty damn special. And the only reason why he wouldn't be first round is just because the value of running backs in the NFL is less. But he certainly has the pedigree and the talent and the size and the speeds and the skill set to be that high of a graded back. And he just proved it once again. And, and when you need it, got to have it, he, he gets it done. I mean, over seven and a half yards per carry again in this one. So hats off to Charbonnet. Um, excited to see him just keep, keep, building that stock. And obviously this team runs through him and they need him to continue this level. If they're going to keep up and keep doing what they got to do. Jake Bobo. Yeah. 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 You hit the nail on the head. And I kind of uh, didn't allude to that. Obviously the numbers were great, but yes, it was more at the end of the game. 
and I'm curious, you know, we're, we are going to get, which we're excited about. We're going to start getting some all 22 tape for these UCLA games. So we can really see, cause I'm very curious how much of that is maybe DTR not looking his way or how much of that is him not getting open. How much is, is that conceptually? And, you know, at this point, I don't know. So I'm not going to assume if you, I mean, obviously you can jump in if you know different things, but what I will say is it seems no matter what, when they need a big catch, he's the guy you can count on. Even if it was only three catches or four catches through the first three quarters, when they needed a big one, he was the guy that got it done. And I think that's what makes it so exciting. But to your point, we need to see that consistency from quarter one through quarter four. If this offense wants to stay as dynamic as they have the ability, I have a pro comp Jamal. And I know you and will do the draft as a session podcast. You guys are the draft experts, not me, but he reminds me of Mike Evans in the NFL. Same size, 6'5", 215, 220. Mike Evans was a guy out of Texas A&M, first-round draft pick. I think he went 13th over. He went top top 15, I know that much. Finished that his final season at Texas A&M with somewhere around 70 catches, 1,300 yards, 12 touchdowns. You know, Bobo's on close pace with that. You know, maybe a little under in the yardage category, but definitely in the touchdowns and receptions. Has the same size, has kind of the speed and tools. So here's a guy that not only is so important to this offense and to DTR's continued maturation and potential Heisman candidacy, but also a guy that we could actually see be a very high round draft pick. I know that's a long ways away. We're talking about in season, but it's exciting when you see these guys, especially of UCLA ilk, they can kind of get some love in that first day or early day two. And I think Bobo is a guy that can absolutely become that as the season goes on. But to do that, to your point, Jamal, he needs to do it from quarter one all the way through quarter four. No, Ryan, you, you said it best, and I, I completely agree. He is the big catch maker for UCLA. There's no question about it. When there's a difficult third down, a difficult fourth down, DTR is going to Bobo first and foremost when he really needs something. I think there's tactically a couple of adjustments that Chip Kelly can look at moving forward where it seems like the emphasis early in games, in these big games, uh, from a passing perspective, is to get Kaz Allen the ball a lot. It's it's let's establish Charbonnet and let's do some things on the outside with Kaz Allen, which has been terrific. But I think there can be some packages where we get Bobo involved more intentionally and not just wait on the critical third down and the critical fourth down and really get him going a little bit earlier. So I'm really excited to see that. I think Bobo is getting open. I think it's just more of an emphasis of where Chip is directing DTR to go with the ball a little bit. Because every time you see DTR making reads, you know, invariably Bobo is open and he's hitting him in those key situations. So that's going to be really exciting to see moving forward. I love the comp with Mike Evans. I think for me to get all the way there with Mike Evans, I completely agree with you. Got to see how Bobo does with the long ball. Because Mike Evans is, for his size and his frame, is an absolutely incredible long ball receiver. We saw it at Texas A&M with Manziel. He was able to get such deep balls, even as a man of his size. We've seen it with Brady and that connection. So I'd I'd love to see that element uh, with Bobo and a couple of deeper balls going to Bobo. He's been living exclusively in that 15 to 25-yard range. But how do we sort of see the home run ability with Bobo? I think it's there. And I think Chip still has some cards up his sleeve for some of these November games. The comp, I'll say, Ryan, before we end it here, I think is one you'll appreciate. Ed McCaffrey of the Broncos back in the day. That's who reminds me a lot of Bobo, Christian McCaffrey's dad. 
And I think the way Elway sort of played off of McCaffrey with Rod Smith on the other end, a lot of what Mike Shanahan did off of that zone read and some of the concepts through the air reminds me a lot of Bobo. And when you see kind of the similarities of Mike Shanahan and David Cutcliffe, where Bobo came from with Duke, I, I see a lot of that ilk a little bit. Similar size, similar ability to catch the ball beautifully with hands and very underrated athlete. So I completely agree with you. I think Bobo is going to be a, a stud uh, in the right situation in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. I like that comp a lot. I think Bobo has a lot more strength than Eddie Mack, but uh, definitely has a lot of the same uh, intangibles, which is great. So sky's the limit, ceiling's the limit, whatever you want to say for this guy. Uh, so we we'll, uh, excited to see him continue to, you know, build upon a great 2022 campaign um, continuing on. So, we can wrap up with that, Jamal. Last thing I'll say, uh, and you talked about it earlier about the you know projection for this team, the big picture for this team. They fall from nine to twelve, so I mean they're still in the top twelve ranking. Obviously, you hate having that one loss there, but it's a at least it's a good loss against a good team on the road. So this team absolutely has a lot of control of their destiny. Absolutely can get to the Pac-12 title. And hey, I, we, we we didn't get into it, and I'm not gonna. Uh, spend any more time on it, but hey, there's even a path still where you never know if they can get in to the college football playoff with some of those top dogs are going to be playing each other, and so losses are going to start stacking up one through seven. So uh, sitting at 12, still a lot to play for. I mean, still everything to play for, and we'll have a fun one against Stanford at the Rose Bowl this weekend. So Jamal, anything else you want to add before signing off? Absolutely, Ryan. We'll, we'll leave with this. I, 100% confidence, 100, not 99.9, that if UCLA goes 5-0, and in their next five regular season games, they will be in the Pac-12 title game, 100%. Yep, 100% too. And that November 19th game against USC is going to be so important, which it hasn't been for quite some time. So we cannot wait. Let us know your thoughts. Again, text UCLA to 31032. Let us know how you think the Bruins season will end if they're still on pace to play in that Pac-12 title game. For Jamal Madney, I am Ryan Dyer. This is the LA Football Show, UCLA Bruins segment. Everyone have a great week. Talk to you all here in a few days. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.